0: looking at our world from a theological perspective. This is the Theology Central Podcast, making theology central. Good afternoon everyone. It is Thursday, October the 12th, 2023. It is currently 12:16 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. It is currently day six in the war between Israel and primarily the terrorist organization Hamas. However, we are still waiting to see if this is going to escalate and more people are going to get involved. If you have not seen, Hamas is calling for a global day of jihad. Right, So that is a concerning development. How that will be responded to, will, will other Islamic uh, fundamentalist groups respond to it? But Hamas is calling for a global day of jihad. Uh, Jerusalem basically is a ghost town, according to one headline. And Gaza is into darkness because Israel has cut power and water to Gaza as well. They're trying to, to find... All of the Hamas terrorists are trying to free all the hostages that have been taken. There have been reports of great brutality, large, I mean, the death toll, I think, is now over 2,000 for people within Israel and Gaza. I think over 200, I believe it's over 200 Israeli troops have been killed. It's just hour after hour, update after update and the situation just continues to be moving towards escalation, not de escalation. And we are, con- I am constantly trying to watch uh, all the, the reporting as much as possible. I, I know some of you have been, have expressed your own emotions with trying to watch this, trying to keep up with it not trying to be overwhelmed by it. I've tried to express to you my own struggles with how many times do I turn on the microphone and talk about it. It, It's really have had, it's had profound impact on me emotionally. It's had profound impact on me, even knowing what to do. Like, how do I turn on the microphone and say, hey guys, let's do this. Let's talk about this in the meantime, I, and, the same, and, and, and I know in the same way, the situation in Russia and Ukraine at the beginning had similar impact on me. This one has a similar impact to me. And I know at some point you have to move forward and you have to just carry on. You got to turn on the microphone and say, all right, today we're going to study this and we're going to do this. But it's very hard, especially at the outset of great tragedy and death and destruction and war and pain and, and horrific Things occurring. It's at least at the beginning. It's very difficult just to turn on the microphone and not like it happen, not to act like it's not happening. On the other hand, I've I've tried to tell you I don't want my podcast to to basically become a twenty four hour news channel either, because there's plenty of that out there. You can keep up with everything that's going on. So so what do I say? What do I cover? Well, I'm going to try to spend more time paying attention to what Christians are saying, Christian ministries are saying, how people may be trying to attach this to biblical passages and say it's a fulfillment of prophecy, trying to, if people I feel like are, are sliding over into conspiratorial thinking, making outlandish claims about scripture, applying scripture that may not apply, then those we will deal with that. Things that may be more relate to a theological perspective, since this is the Theology Central podcast. But it is a... It is a difficult uh, situation to, to see unfold. And I don't know if you've seen the images. I don't know if you've seen any of the video. It's just absolutely horrific. And to make it even worse... So while death and destruction is happening within Israel and within Gaza, right? Even though Hamas is calling for a global day of jihad, even though Jerusalem is a ghost town, even though Gaza is cut off from, you know, water, power, electric, all the things going on, even though all of these horrible tragedies, people are dying, uh, uh, there are people being, you know, kept hostage by Hamas, right? As, As all of this is unfolding, unfortunately... The inevitable happens because human beings are sinners and our sinful nature manifests itself in some really messed up way. So I don't, you've probably seen some of the video, you've probably read some other reports of the horrible, horrible things people are saying, the anti-Semitic, blaming Israel, calling for more death and more destruction, celebrating the death within Israel. The very anti-Semitic comments are absolutely horrifying. It's absolutely shocking. And then many within the Christian world feel like that this is a time to step up and say, hey, we we don't believe that there's a promise made to Israel and that there's no land promised to Israel and that Israel as a nation doesn't count. It's been replaced by the church. I don't know why you would want to then at that moment think it's time to express your theological perspective in the midst of suffering and dying. I mean, you can express that at any time. And I'm not saying that there isn't a time in the conflict to say, all right, guys, we hold a different theology here. And here's our, there, there may be a time and there's a place, but just to go on social media throwing out outlandish comments just to get clicks is, is childish. It's. It's it's so disrespectful to people dying. There's a time to express that theology. I got no problem with it. I got no problem that you. You don't believe God has a plan for Israel, that God has done with the nation of Israel, that they don't get the land, uh, that that land promise has now been turned into some kind of a spiritual promise, that Israel's been replaced by the church. That's fine. Teach your theology. Believe your theology. But, but what's the point of throwing that out there in the midst of this? Now, now once Christian ministries start coming out and putting forth their theology then there may be a time that you engage and say no we don't believe that but it, there it's just can we use a little bit of wisdom uh, how about this could we demonstrate a little bit of i don't know compassion and love i it's just some of the things that we're witnessing it's just it's just it, oh. It just makes me to the point of just saying, you know what, I'm, I just, it just makes you realize that even in the midst of great tragedy, the, sometimes the last people you want to hear from, the last people you want to be around, I hate to say it, are followers of Jesus Christ because sometimes they're heartless, cruel, mean, ungodly, hateful, and it's just sometimes it's sickening it, to watch it unfold. Uh, But uh, as one person who emailed me, they're struggling with some of the things I'm struggling with. They said this, uh, if I can find their email, give me a second here. Um, It's my email decided to refresh. I had it all uh, ready to go, but let me find it here. Just take me a minute because they're, they're, they're struggling and they're struggling and and maybe a way, maybe you're struggling with this. Maybe you're not, but someone Uh, emailed me this on October the 11th at 4.10 a.m. in the morning. All right, October the 11th at 4.10 a.m. in the morning. This story has so consumed my thoughts, it has made it impossible to do Bible study. Between all the pro... Hamas talk from the left and the anti-Semitic Christian nationalist downplaying of this attack. My brain is fried. And you've got, you're right. It's, it's true. You got people on the left who are almost pro-Hamas, pro, pro, um, terrorist, right? And then on, uh, that, and that's on the left. And then, and, and then an almost an anti-Semitic Christian nationalist approach. Many Christian nationalists are very anti-Semitic and they're downplaying the attack. So on the left, you've got a pro Hamas, anti, uh, uh, almost a pro Hamas, a pro Hamas and, and very anti-Semitic as well. And then Christian nationalists are anti-Semitic. And you watch all of this unfold. It, it, I mean, it it just makes you like, what What do you even want to do? It just makes you just. It's just sad. It, but once again, it just shows within the Christian world. Now those on the left who are pro Hamas and anti-Semitic. All right. You could possibly make an argument for why, right? You you could possibly make an argument for why. I mean, they reject the Bible. They don't believe, obviously, that God has promised anything to Israel. So they would say Israel has no right or claim to the land. And they may even make an argument that the land belongs uh, to, to the Palestinians and that they should have. That you could get because they don't, they're not holding to any biblical perspective. But when you get within the Christian world, and once again, what do we see within the Christian world? We can't even agree on what Israel's role is or isn't in the future. We can't even agree on what is or isn't promised to Israel. We can't even agree within Christianity what belongs to the church or what belongs to the nation of Israel. We can't, and we can't even obviously assume, I guess we can't even agree because there are professing Christians out there who are very anti-Semitic. And you're like, what? It's just sometimes you just realize opening the Bible, talking about anything the- the- theological is an absolute waste of time because there's just never any agreement on anything. It's maddening at times. So this person is struggling because he's watching this. Again, the pro-Hamas talk from the left and the anti-Semitic Christian nationalists downplaying the attack on the right. And I don't know where you fall into all of this, but it is it is maddening and it is sad. And when you, when you look at this, guess what you're getting? You're getting everyone blaming someone. Some people are bl- literally blaming Israel. Israel's to blame. It, it's Israel's fault. They deserve Hamas coming in and killing and slaughtering people. They deserved it. So on one hand, you got people saying that Israel deserved it. And I've seen, oh, I've seen some outlandish things putting the blame there. Hey, Hamas comes in, kills all of these people, kidnaps people, ex- executes people, whatever they may do. Hey, well, you know, Israel deserves it. So, so some are blaming Israel. Others are blaming Hamas. Some people are blaming Islam. And some people, or at least one individual, is blaming Christianity. So what I want to do is we're going to look at this individual's claim that Christianity is partially to blame for the war in Israel. So I want you to just think about that. Do you believe Christianity is partially to to blame? Now, obviously, you wouldn't be blaming the the part of Christianity that says God has no future plan for Israel. He's done with the nation of Israel, and basically, now everything belongs to the church. And Israel has no plan, no no promise to the land, or or any, no. They have no nothing. They have no claim to the land. Uh, that 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 Israel is gone. It does no longer exist, and so we don't ever have to worry about any of those promises to Israel again. Obviously, that form of Christianity, this individual is not blaming. They would be blaming the form of Christianity that says God made a covenant with the nation of Israel. That nation will get those promises. So, it, it really, again, this person is blaming a certain a, a certain element of Christianity, a certain group within Christianity. Are they to be blamed? Well, we'll address that in just a minute. In the meantime... Understanding the Times, a podcast that I tell everyone to subscribe to. Not one that I always agree with, but they always are, are pretty good at covering what's going on in the world. They try to do so from a biblical and uh, pr- perspective. They're clearly coming at things from a more pre-trib dispensational perspective, but I wanted to at least hear how they dropped their uh, their newest episode. Usually, they drop it around tonight, around eleven p.m. They dropped it earlier this morning. So they wanted to start addressing some of the things that are going on. So guess what? We're going to review at least some of it. We may end up working through this in different uh, episodes, but at least wanted to play a little bit of this. And then, and then we will circle back to a specific individual within our government, within the United States government, who is blaming well, a certain part of Christianity for what is currently going on within Israel and the war basically between Israel and Hamas. Right? Are, you re- are you ready to, to look at all of that? We will do so. But in the meantime, let's listen to their most recent episode of Understanding the Times. You should uh, subscribe to their podcast. Let's hear what they have to say as I continue to try to monitor how the Christian world is responding and reacting to what is currently taking place. Here we go.
1: Is it 1938 or 2023?
0: There are drones buzzing overhead, attack helicopters in the sky, and explosions every few seconds. A war has erupted between Israel and Gaza.
1: Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, Radio for the Remnant. Today, we are honored to have Amir Sarfati join us to talk about the carnage in God's land, Israel. What does war in the Middle East mean for the rest of the free world? How does the scenario relate to the Bible and to Bible prophecy? And how can we pray? Here is today's program. It was a very quiet morning, Saturday, 630 30 the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the happiest of all the days of the Feast. Tonight, there were supposed to be celebrations across the country with the dancing, holding the Torah books because of the, the end of the cycle of reading of the Torah and the beginning of another one. There were youngsters that had a party all night out in the nature, There were a lot of Israelis that were asleep. It's Shabbat. And there were a lot of soldiers that had no clue that in a few minutes, their lives will either end or change forever. And then exactly at 6.30, with a barrage of hundreds of rockets, in a very daring move, Hamas terrorists attacked nearly 50 Israeli military outposts along the border. And once they neutralized them, they managed to breach the wall and the fence and open a wide road for their vehicles and their motorcycles. And they also used some gliders. And within 20 minutes, at least 1,000 terrorists infiltrated into Israel and totally surprised the people in that outdoor party, the civilians that are sleeping in on Shabbat and the soldiers that never saw that coming. And within a matter of one hour, we already counted more than 100 dead. As of now, it's over 200. But the astonishing thing, The one thing that we dreaded the most is the fact that they were able to abduct nearly 100 Israelis into Gaza Strip. And they paraded them on the main road. Women and children and old people and young people and dead bodies of Israeli soldiers were all paraded along the main road. So, Israel declared war, and we are about 10 hours into this war, with over 5,000 rockets in less than 12 hours. Another disturbing thing is, which leads me to believe that there is a country behind it, and not just a terrorist organization, is the fact that in a very strange way, the Iron Dome, Missed so many rockets and there were direct hits in so many places. And uh, Hamas basically declared we neutralized the Iron Dome.
2: Glad you can join me for understanding the times.
0: Now, the audio was playing there was came out just hours within uh, the attack. Um, someone had sent me that audio, but for some weird reason, when I tried to take that audio from the YouTube video, which was sent, all of the converters would not convert it, saying it was a live video, even though it was no longer live. So I was never able to convert it and play it, or I would have already played that for you. I'm glad we got to hear some of it right there. Uh, But that's someone giving us a you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost an immediate reaction, almost an immediate reaction to what was going on. And it was good to see that some Christian ministries, some Christian organizations was already discussing it and talking about it. Now, he kind of hinted that he felt a country is behind it, not just Hamas, but not just a terrorist organization, but a country is behind it. Now, that, that Those are the kinds of things that we get concerned with because that leads to escalation, it becomes more than a war between Israel and Hamas. Some say between Israel and Gaza or, or Israel and Palestine. I think Israel and Hamas is how I'm classifying it now. But if other countries are involved, then it becomes Israel versus Israel. Even if you put Hamas, Palestinians, Gaza, whatever name you want to put there, it becomes a bigger war if others are fighting basically a proxy war where they may not be directly involved, but they're giving. Ammunition, intelligence, and then it becomes this bigger, bigger thing. It prolongs. It, it you know intensifies, and it escalates instead of de-escalating. So we will see. Now the numbers he gave there are obviously so have been so far surpassed. Now, well, well, I think we're probably fo- fast approaching three thousand dead. Um, Probably close to three hundred Israeli uh, troops have been killed. Uh, the number of hostages at one point it was a hundred. I think it were over a hundred i think it 's well over a hundred at this point. At one point, hundreds of people were missing from the music festival so it 's been it 's just been a nightmare of death and destruction let 's at least see how they approach this. Are they going to approach this in a very level-headed way? Are they going to immediately start believing or claiming that these are fulfillments of something? Let's see how they are going to handle it as we listen.
2: the radio today, that was the familiar voice of Amir Sarfati, my guest for the hour that actually was last weekend at the Awaiting His Return in Philadelphia, and he's going to join me in just a moment as we review, well, at least we'll make an effort here to talk about the surprise invasion by Islamic jihadi group Hamas has so far resulted in nearly a thousand Israeli deaths, American deaths, and others, well over two thousand, probably between two and three thousand wounded, unknown number of Israeli citizens kidnapped to the terror enclave of Gaza. And this includes the elderly, parents, children, even babies. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. This is a terror attack of proportions heretofore unknown in Israel. And the casualties are more in line with the full-scale war. We'll discuss this for the hour. My guest writes this. He wrote this a couple of days ago now. And you kind of heard him summarize, so I don't want to go over the exact same. But he writes, it was 6.30 on a beautiful Saturday, Sabbath in the morning, all over Israel. People were sleeping in on the final day of Sukkot, the joyous Feast of Tabernacles. In southern Israel, just five kilometers from the border with Gaza, An all-night party with more than a 1,000 young people attending was just starting to wind down. And then I'll read just one more paragraph. This is an e-blast that he sent out in the last couple days here. Drones were launched that dropped bombs on the Israeli military outposts along the border fence, immediately neutralizing the ground-level chain of command along Gaza. Thus, there was no one left to report to the higher levels of leadership what was taking place. At the same time, Rockets began to fire from Gaza into Israel, first hundreds, then thousands. The firing of rockets was not unusual. What was atypical, as he just referenced in that clip, was the huge number of missiles that made it past the Iron Dome defense system. Folks, this raises so many questions. Where is this going from here? What's next? What about Hezbollah? What about activity in the north? Lebanon, even Syria for that matter. What about retaliation towards the obvious villain? There's actually a couple of them, Iran and Russia. But what about retaliation, at least towards Iran, who certainly had the biggest hand in all this, so there were actually many. So many questions, not a whole lot of answers, but I know who to turn to when these kinds of issues arise. And you hear Amir Safadi, you hear him many places. Most of you have been to one of his meetings and conferences, churches, etc., or hear him online. Amir, welcome back to the program. It's such a dreadful time, but I'm so glad you could join me.
0: Now, I I am appreciative that they began with saying there's a lot of questions, but not a lot of answers. I do believe there's a lot of questions. They seem They seem very committed that Iran was involved uh, to some level, and you can have your own opinion there. But my thing is, it doesn't matter who you add to the list of who is involved, Hamas, uh, or you just um, we know Hamas was involved, but you start adding any other names to that list. you've got Israel and Hamas. If you add any other names to the list, that leads to escalation. If it's just those two, then the possibility of de-escalation is, seems more probable. The more involved, escalation seems to be what is in the near future uh, for Israel for Gaza, for everyone involved for for uh, everyone in that region? And then does it spread to anything else? Let's see what he has to say here.
1: Yes, thank you, Jan. It's always good to be here with you.
2: Apprise my listeners how your family is. They're in northern Israel. They're near Tiberias. Tell me what's going on and how they're handling this.
1: We live in the Jezreel Valley right next to an air base. So we are experiencing this conflict and this war in a very loud way. The F-16s that are taking off and landing non-stop ever since Saturday afternoon. To tell you that we're in good spirit, no, especially my little boy, a 10-year-old. is very anxious, and this is his first war. I mean, we've had military yes. operations before, but nothing ever can be close even to what Israel has experienced right now and the sheer amount of atrocities that we hear about and we see on television. This is something that our kids should not be seeing and hearing. And so, yeah, that's my biggest concern. My family, other than that, is okay. And I'm glad that within a few hours, I'll be on my way to get there.
2: I'm reflecting back actually a number of decades on October 6, 1973. The unthinkable happened at that time, and on the watch of Prime Minister Golda Meir, Israel's enemies gathered on her borders and planned to wipe out the very memory of her existence, Psalm 83, and they nearly succeeded, and at that time, Amir Meir appealed to President Richard Nixon, no friend of the Jews, to be honest, but his mother had told him when he was young that if you can ever help Israel in a time of desperate need, she said, do it. He had advisors in Washington in the early 70s, one of them, Henry Kissinger, not real fond of the idea of Nixon and America helping Israel in the 73 Yom Kippur War, and he did it anyway to remember what his mother told him.
0: Now, if you participated in our Bible Pop Quiz, I gave you some questions about that. Uh, I, I think I had one question about that war. Um, the you know, 1973 war of Yom Kippur and about Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement and uh, some of the things related to it. The reason I did the Bible pop quiz that way is just to so that we could try to learn about some things related to this. Because anyone talking about this, these things come up. Yom Kippur, um, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, many of the th- things that were on that pop quiz, any coverage you hear about it. They keep being mentioned. So I want all of us to be so- somewhat experts in it. All right. But that's the, the war of 19, the battle, or war of 1973, the Yong Khopur War of 1973, which we have referenced. So uh, once again, anytime anyone's talking about these things, those things I put on the Bible pop quiz relate directly to the news coverage.
2: And he and the Lord worked together and actually saved the country back in 1973. Amir, there are so many parallels. Talk to us a little bit about some of those parallels.
1: First of all, by the way, we're talking about a day apart from the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur. I mean, we're talking about exactly 50 years later, and the Israeli intelligence is once again experiencing one of its darkest moments of not understanding, not knowing that for the last year, Hamas has been planning the most murderous, barbaric attack on Jewish people ever since the Holocaust, basically. And it's a colossal failure. It's a failure to understand that they are not even using the communication system that we thought they have. It's a failure to understand that all of the demonstrations they had by the fence were actually just an opportunity to collect information on cameras and on sensors and all of that. It's a colossal failure because we did not even know that they have bomb-dropping drones. We thought that the incendiary balloons is what they have. We underestimated them. We truly did. And again, in such a tense period, we did not keep enough soldiers in our military outposts. It was like we were in a high. We're winning. We're doing great. You know, we're invincible. And that's it. And we woke up to understand that we may have overestimated ourselves and definitely underestimated our enemies because what they did worked better than they thought. The outcome was better than they thought. In fact, one of the terrorists that we captured alive and we interrogated, he said that they were shocked that no one was waiting for Mm -hmm. them on the other side of the fence. They did not think in their greatest dreams, they did not think that it'll be that easy they managed to breach in 15 different points along the fence to breach that fence and allow themselves to have free access in and out of the Gaza Strip. And they were so amazed that there is nothing there that is stopping them that they started going back and forth into Israel and back with as many people as they could. It was like unbelievable. Vehicles and motorcycles will go into Israel abduct people and bring them in, then go back to abduct some more. It was unbelievable, colossal failure that will be investigated in in an investigation committee that will definitely have to start after the end of all of this. But Israelis, although they're very, very disturbed by this whole thing, they know that this is not the time to find people that we want to blame for this. It's time to stick together together stand up and fight back. And that is exactly what we're doing right now.
2: I'm concerned because Bibi Netanyahu already is not the most popular prime minister, which most Christians love Bibi. He's been the longest serving, interrupted a few times, but still the longest serving. He's a military hero. Is the blame going to be put on him? Is it the intelligence community? Is it the military? Is it the politicians or
0: And this is how things always play out. We're going to start. Who who gets the blame? Who gets the blame? Who gets the blame? Can we start the blame with Hamas? Okay. Can we start with the terrorist organization? Who carried out the attack. Can we just start right there? Can we start right now? I know others will say, no, Israel's to blame. They deserved it. I know that there's plenty of that going around, but let's just start that whatever Israel has done or not done, whatever your grievances with Israel, I don't know if launching a full blown terrorist attack where you're kidnapping children, you're kidnapping women, you're kidnapping civilians and People are being killed and slaughtered. You slaughter civilians. You didn't go after the the Israeli military. You went after a music festival and slaughtered people. So can we put the blame first and foremost at the feet of Hamas? Can we can we start there? Can can, can we, Is there anything we can agree on in 2023? I know people want to start blaming. It was a security failure. It was a governmental failure. It was it was Benjamin Netanyahu. It was his fault. Well, we I know we always go these directions, but I just would like. To leave it first and foremost, that, well, let's blame Hamas. Let's blame a terrorist organization, right? Or all
2: of them, maybe.
1: First of all, I would say that also most of the Israelis like him. That's why he's the prime minister, where democracy mm-hmm. and people voted for him. So it's not just most Christians, most Israelis. However, I will say that what happened in the last few days is a clear, colossal failure of the liberal left approach that we must do peace with the Hamas, that we must negotiate with Hamas, that we must appease the Palestinians. I think that if there was maybe 30% or 20% of the Israelis that thought that way, today they may be 2%. So the Israelis as a nation, I think, moved way right right now. But will Netanyahu personally be elected again or would want to be the prime minister again i'm not sure i think that it's probably his last term and probably right after this hopefully we will win but i don't see him staying as a prime minister because it's obviously when the time comes and people will have to give some explanations we will probably expect everyone in the government and in the military all the top leaders we expect them to step down
0: Now, if his report is accurate, you're going to have major governmental upheaval within the nation of Israel on top of this war. So, after the war, basically a complete getting rid of everyone that was in power. Now, what does that mean for the future? Who knows? I, I'm not going to sit here and make any speculation, but you know, instability in Israel. Sometimes I, th- I I'll put it this way: instability within your governmental structure could be a sign of vulnerability to your enemies. And I don't know if you know this,
2: Israel has a lot of enemies. I mean, some are saying that Israel has been changed forever. What do they mean by that? Because how would Israel be changed forever? Humiliated? I mean, nobody wants that. So what do they mean when it's, we hope that it's setting a stage for a spiritual turnaround? Though that doesn't really happen until Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation.
1: First of all, I do believe that there is a little bit of a spiritual awakening. I'm going to give you one thing that will show you how changed we are right now. How changed we are from five days ago. Israel's mode of operation right now in Gaza is as if we do not have any kidnapped people in Gaza, which means we go all the way. That's something that would never be in the Israel of five days ago. Five days ago, we would be worried. Five days ago, just for one soldier, we gave them... If you remember, for one soldier, we released a 1,000 terrorists. If you remember Gilad Shalit. Of course. Well, for one kidnapped soldier, the whole country was worried and counting the days. And then we released a 1,000 terrorists. By the way, you know who the leader of Hamas is today? Yichia Sinwar who was one of those terrorists who were released in exchange for Gilad Shalit. Now, just so you understand, the Israelis are uh, at the level now that they're saying, you know what, we have to put an end to this, and we will not let them use any abducted people as neither human shields nor as ACE to get anything in return.
0: Now, that is concerning... And I think you can say why, if that's your family member who was taken hostage, if if he is correct and Israel has changed dramatically, because it is true in the past, it would be like, let's negotiate, let's work this out. Okay, we will release prisoners to get our one back. Okay, if Israel truly has changed and they're like, nope, we're not going to do that. You may have a hundred hostages. You may have 200. We're coming for you and we're going to operate as if you don't have any. That would be not only a major change within Israel, that would be horrifying, utterly horrifying if one of your family members was being held hostage. Because the chance of rescue at that point would be highly unlikely and Hamas would possibly then start utilizing them, well, in a horrible way. So we will have to see how that plays out.
1: Israel already turned down every possible offer for an exchange of prisoners. We're saying, no, it's not going to happen. You will either release them all right now, or you will completely be annihilated. That's it. And they're very angry because the whole point of the abduction was that they get something out of it. And we just pulled that carpet Mm -hmm. from underneath them. We're just saying, we're telling them. That's a different Israel from five days
2: ago. Okay, so... We're all concerned about a wider war, and that can mean lots of things. It certainly can mean more terrorist groups from the north, Hezbollah, Lebanon, for that matter, parts of Syria. There's unlimited terrorists within Syria. Without a doubt, you feel Russia was very involved in this, which is shades here of Gog Magog on the horizon. That's not now, but it's up ahead sometime. So where do you see this going as far as a wider war is concerned? We're very, very concerned about that.
1: Let me tell you this. The game changer is when the U.S. president ordered Gerald Ford carrier to come to Israel. This is the most advanced and the biggest and the strongest U.S. carrier with a strike group, as well as B-52s. Let me remind you. America did not send Ukraine Mm B-52s. America did not send the Gerald Ford to the Ukraine. America did not assist the Ukraine in even half of the way you guys are doing right now. Yes, you're sending a lot of weapons and money, but let's face it. It's one thing to send money that you'll never know where it went. And it's another thing to put the most massive carrier in the world on the coast of Israel with a show of force that is definitely changing the game. So the game changer is that Israel is not standing alone here and the international community is united now on our side, which gives us the legitimacy to do far more things than we could do if we were restrained by all of these political powers. And so unlike the Ezekiel War, where we will not be assisted by anyone, And we will be all by ourselves and God will win for us, of course. And again, another thing that we have to take in consideration is this. No country is willing to participate in this war. It is only terrorist organizations. It is only what I call the proxies of the Iranians. The proxies of the Iranians in Syria, in Lebanon, and the proxies in maybe Yemen or Iraq. But it's not the Iraqi army. It's not the Syrian army. It's not the Lebanese army. It's not the Jordanian army certainly not the Egyptian army. Those countries are not participating. This is a big difference. Israel is fighting, in a way, only Iran, because these are all proxies of Iran. We're not fighting Lebanon. We're fighting Hezbollah. If you ask the Lebanese, not a single Lebanese would want to fight with Israel right now.
2: You feel Russia is involved, and I would concur with that, that Russia is involved. Some of the sophistication is beyond Iran, all right? It can only come from one other source and that's Russia.
1: Only a state power can provide the Palestinians the knowledge, the equipment, and the training that we see from this operation. Bomb-dropping drones are not something... Yeah, these are some things that the Russians are using in Ukraine throughout the entire war. We've seen that. I have hundreds of videos of footage from those drones when they drop bombs and they hit Ukrainian soldiers, Ukrainian trenches, and Ukrainian armored vehicles. That I know it's a Russian thing. The Iranians don't make those. The Iranians are making suicide drones or drones that are capable of flying very long with missiles and rockets, not a tiny bomb that you just drop like that. That's a Russian thing. Also,
0: for the... Please note that's speculation until we have definitive proof. We cannot dogmatically assert that, but you can definitely consider that. Just make sure verification... Multiple sources, reliable sources. Just be careful with making any wild speculation. All right.
1: The Longest time, Israel is suffering from disturbances in our GPS around our airport because of the Russians. And it's a very likely thing that the Russians helped in disturbing the frequencies of the Iron Dome radar system which might explain why so many of the rockets this time fell on civilian populated areas. Mm. And of course, the communication system is also something that we have never seen before that they're using right now. Look.
0: Now, we will stop right there because I want you to go subscribe to their podcast. It's Understanding the Times. Please go listen to the rest of that interview. There's a lot more of it left. We only reviewed just a little bit of it, but I want you to hear it. I want you to keep – and I am I am guessing, this is just my speculation, that Understanding the Times will probably dedicate their weekly podcast to this, maybe even dropping some extra episodes is what I'm thinking. I've, I've been receiving a couple of notifications today from a number of Christian ministries that are doing updates about the current situation. And we'll do that. CNN just started a podcast called tug of war where it's. Daily updates about what's happening within Israel. So there's lots of information coming from there. But understanding the times, I would go find it, subscribe to it. If you cannot locate it, email me newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And I will definitely get to that. Now, that was a long 42 minutes to get back to where we originally started. Everyone blaming everyone. Everyone blaming everyone. But I wanted you to at least hear that update. And we have a specific person in our government who's blaming? Well, Christians. All right. The name of this individual, you'll be very familiar with it. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, many of, AOC, we'll refer to her as AOC throughout, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um i know many within the conservative world many within the christian world will immediately start saying negative things about her i'm not here to attack her there's something she has said that I agree with. Obviously there's many things with her I disagree with because I'm not loyal to a political party. I don't I don't go that way and I'm not going to attack someone just because I may disagree, but I uh, this article caught me off guard and it was published today. So I I want you if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to at least bring this to your attention and then you can do what you want with this, and we may be talking about it more. I wanted to dedicate this entire podcast to this, but we will, we will at least mention it now, and then maybe we'll come back to it. But here's the headline. AOC, that's Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, says anti Semitic Christian fundamentalism in the US is partially to blame for the Israeli Palestinian conflict. So she refers to it anti-Semitic Christian fundamentalism. And the U.S. is partially to blame for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Now, when you refer to something as Christian fundamentalism, who are you, which group are you referring to? Who are the Christian fundamentalists who are anti-Semitic? Because when I think the, when I think of the fundamentals, I think of the four volume books, the fundamentals, the rise of fundamentalism, which I tend to see going more towards independent fundamental Baptists, that kind of world. That form of fundamentalism is definitely not anti-Semitic. It tends to be dispensational and very pro-Israel. So, is she referring to an anti-Semitic Christian fundamentalism slash Christian nationalism? Because within Christian nationalism, I have seen a very anti-Semitic approach. So, who exactly is AOC referring to? Is this a governmental leader referring to theological and and Christian issues that she doesn't know how to properly define? I don't know. Let's read this and see who she's referring to. Again, AOC says anti-Semitic Christian fundamentalism and the U.S. is partially to blame for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. AOC is naming Christian fundamentalism as a key driver of conflict between Israel and Palestine. Now, again, when she says Christian fundamentalism, what, who exactly is she referring to? Because I, when I hear the term fundamentalism, that's someone standing for the fundamentals of the faith, and I'm a Christian. So in many cases, I would refer to myself as a Christian fundamentalist, right? My church is, we're independent, we're Baptist, and we're fundamental, and in a sense, we're fundamentalists because we fight for the fundamentals of the faith. And those fundamentals of the faith, I think, are theological and doctrinal, not culture wars and and dress and music. So my idea of fundamentalism may be different than other people's, but okay. She referenced Trump's decision to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem during his presidency. Now, I, to be fair, I thought when Trump moved that from at least a strategic standpoint, I thought it was a horrible idea, and I thought it was going to lead to lots of violence, which it did not. I was horribly wrong on my prediction there. So I don't know if you can blame that now. Hey, Trump made a decision, and, and I don't always agree with Trump. You clearly know that, but I don't know if it would be fair to blame that decision to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, be, unless, because they're not attacked. They didn't attack. Well, very, there were very, a little bit of attack, maybe just a, a few rockets that landed near Jerusalem, but most of this is Tel Aviv, the, the music festival. Uh, like, did they go after the embassy? Uh, did they state that that was one of their main targets? I don't know. Now, and and then she goes on to say this very interesting quote. I quote, I'm quoting Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Here we go. Here we go. The Israel of today is not the Israel of the Bible. Now I have seen uh, that that's a common that's a common statement by many who are not dispensational who may be more amillennial who may be more who, who believe the church replaced israel they're like it's not the same israel it's not the same israel of the bible so the promise doesn't go to them no there's no promise to let there's nothing for them there's nothing for them they're there the israel of the bible no longer exists they were wiped out they don't exist they're gone and all of those promises go to us the church so so what she's saying there is very similar to what I hear in some theological circles. So let, let's see where they go with this. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York is naming Christian fundamentalism as a key driver of the ongoing conflict between Israel and Palestine, pointing to recent U.S. actions in the region. Speaking on local New York radio station Hot 97 WQHT on Thursday morning, The progressive Democratic congresswoman argued that the conflict was not simply the result of Islamic fundamentalism and Israeli extremism. It's not just Islamic. It's just not Jewish. It's also Christian, said Ocasio-Cortez. In the United States of America, Christian fundamentalism and nationalism which has also been extremely anti-Semitic, has also aligned itself with some of the most right-wing and authoritarian and inflammatory powers in the region. Now, I do agree that Christian nationalism is extremely anti-Semitic. I do believe when I, I, whenever you start diving in and getting into Christian nationalism, there is a, there's an element of it, I should say. I think there's different versions of Christian nationalism, right? But there's much of it that's very anti Semitic. Now, when I'm watching this conflict, what I keep paying attention to is the rise of anti Semitic language. Terminology, the anti-Semitism uh, to me is is massively troubling, massively troubling. And if there's a if there's a global rise of anti-Semitic uh, Semitic, uh, mentality, philosophy, if there's a rise of anti-Semitism globally, now whatever you may feel the future is for Israel and biblical prophecy, some of that prophecy, the way some people understand it, you're going to have almost a global anti-Semitism where they come after Israel. Now, we could get into that, but I, that's something I would pay attention to and keep my eye, eye out for, but we definitely have that. So, th- that seems to be the Christian fundamentalism that she, she's focusing on is a Christian nationalism. I wish you would refer to it as Christian nationalism and not Christian fundamentalism. So, if you hear someone report this, that You know, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went after the fundamentalist. Make sure you, I think what she, I think that it's poor use of language. I think she's referencing Christian nationalists who are anti-Semitic. She goes on to say, she pointed to the decision by former President Donald Trump to relocate the U.S. embassy to Israel and Jerusalem, a controversial move that previous presidents had declined to make, given the holy city is contested between Israelis and Palestinians. Now, again, I thought from a strategic standpoint, it was a horrible idea, and I thought it was going to lead to bloodshed and violence, which it did not. I was very wrong on that. I got no problem acknowledging when I get something wrong. Um, So I don't know if it's fair to to blame that. She goes, it's not a coincidence that when Trump was in power, he moved the embassy to Jerusalem, said Ocasio-Cortez. There is a ton of fundamentalist literature around revelations in the Bible that leads people to project incorrectly, by the way. Now, when she says uh, there's a ton of fundamentalist literature around revelations in the Bible, does she mean around the book of Revelation in the Bible or revelations like certain scriptures that leads people to project incorrectly, by the way. I don't know what she's referring to there. Like, I think what this sounds like is maybe someone who doesn't have a lot of theological knowledge and, and like you're grouping a lot of people together because many Christians, those who are dispensational, believe God made a covenant with Israel. He is not done with Israel. They are very pro-Israel. There is as far from anti-Semitic as you can get. They're pro-Israel. They're not anti. So I, I like. I don't know what she's she's going with it. This, this bothers me. It bothers me because if you're going to have governmental leaders making statements about religion, maybe those governmental leaders should at least be a, a little bit educated. Here, I'm not trying to be mean. She goes, while that uh, while that decision, in other words, moving the uh, embassy to Jerusalem, was hailed by Israelis, 2017 polling by the American Jewish Committee suggested that most American Jews weren't in favor of it. Just 16% said they favored immediately moving the embassy, while another 36% supported it contingent upon further peace talks between is- Israel and Palestine. But evangelical Christians, a large consti- constituency within the Republican Party, were strongly supportive of the move. At a rally in August of 2020, Trump even remarked that the move was for the evangelicals. You know, it's amazing. With that, the evangelicals are more excited by that than the Jewish people. Trump said at the time. Again, now okay, that's not that's not the group that's anti-Semitic. <laughs> that's. It wasn't the ant, I don't even know if the writer of this article even knows what we're what talking about. Okay. The people who Trump doing that for the evangelicals is for the evangelicals who are not anti-Semitic. I, you gotta draw your distinctions here. The Christian nationalists are anti-Semitic. They would not have been in support of the embassy being moved to Jerusalem. They, they, they're anti-Semitic. So I, I, what is happening here? I, I'm try, I've got to try to process an article that seems to be all com, com, conflated and confused. All right, let's, let's see here. It says, uh, Christian Zionism is rooted in biblical prophecies with some evangelicals believing that the return of Jews to the Holy Land will bring the second coming of Jesus Christ, essentially conflating the modern state of Israel established in 1948 with the biblical land of Israel. Some evangelicals have made even made trips to the new embassy site, viewing it as a part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. All right, now, yes, there are plenty of Christians who believe that God made a covenant with Israel and that covenant with Israel involves them getting the land, being, being restored as a nation and a many, a number of other factors. All right. That that's very true. I don't know why they call it Christian Zionism. If someone asked me if I was a Christian Zionist, I would say, no, I'm a Christian who believes when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise <laughs> because if he doesn't keep his promise to Israel, then how can I trust him to keep the promise he made to me? Right. Right. And when when you see God keeping his promise to Israel, then you know his calling and election is sure, and you can trust it, All right? To me, that's a theological, it's a biblical, it's a hermeneutical issue, All right, But we continue. Uh, the country that is Israel today is not the Israel of the Bible, said Ocasio-Cortez. The country that is Israel today was established in this century. Okay, well, but the Israel of the Bible— night and night in 70 AD in a sense was destroyed but the pro the key is the bible believes that Israel would come back to the land and become a nation again so I don't know what you when you say the the Israel of today is not the Israel of the bible I don't when people say that like what what, what do you what's your point The Israel of the Bible was wiped in a sense off the face of the earth in seventy AD, but the promises they would the thought and the idea was they would be restored to their land to become a nation. But many Jews view the Christian Zionist movement as anti Semitic. That's interesting. All right, maybe that's where the anti-Semitic charge is being, uh, 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 let me read this again. So, But many Jews view the Christian Zionist movement as anti-Semitic, giving that this biblical view also holds that Jews will eventually either convert to Christianity or die in mass in an epic battle of good versus evil. I guess you could see that as anti-Semitic. I guess you could. I don't don't know. Maybe you see that as anti-Semitic. Okay, maybe maybe someone can make that accusation. Um, in the wake of the Hamas attack on Israel, Ocasio-Cortez and other progressive lawmakers have argued for restraint on the part of Israel, fearing a retaliation that is likely to kill thousands of Palestinians. On Wednesday, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont accused Israel of violating international law with its announced siege, a siege of Gaza, arguing that the U.S. must insist on restraint from Israel. Uh, Israeli forces attacking Gaza. But If Israel would be violating international law, what did Hamas just do? Did they not violate international? I mean, I don't know. I didn't hear the whole quote from Bernie Sanders, but that seems like a little one-sided. And that's the end of the article. Clearly, they probably shouldn't be talking about theology. And I'm I'm afraid to view the comments. There's one, there's over a thousand comments underneath this article. I am not going to click on it because it's going to be a theological chaos and people who don't have a clue, it'd just be insane. But there you have it. She is blaming Christian fundamentalism. I think she's blaming Christian nationalism. I, I, but I, I guess for some Jews, they see a pro Christian, a pro Jewish Christian perspective, a Christian perspective that is pro Israel, pro Jewish, pro believing that they will come back to the land and, you know, these things are going to happen. I guess some of them see it as anti-Semitic. I would love to sit down and talk to one who believes it's anti-Semitic and say what makes it anti-Semitic. What which part makes it anti? You do but, so. What Christi- Christians of all kinds, whether dispensationalists or not dispensationalists, believe God will come back to judge the living and the dead, and that people will be judged, and they will be you know, thrown into hell, the lake of fire, depending on how you view all of that. We don't get into never-ending discussions about that. There's going to be eternal punishment. Does that make us anti-everyone? And if Christians are (laughs) anti-Semitic, it's just weird. If if a Jew would look at Christians who are very pro-Israel, saying they're anti-Semitic, then what is Islam? What, what is Islam then? I, does it – can we refer to them being anti-Semitic? I, I think maybe we can. I just, I just thought it was very interesting that the, the, the issue becomes Christianity. It, it wasn't a Christian – it was an Islamic group who, who just came into Israel and killed people. I don't know why she would put the focus on Christianity. Christianity is to blame. Now, I am concerned with the rise of Christian nationalism that's anti-Semitic. I am very greatly concerned. I'm greatly concerned with the anti-Semitic rhetoric that is appearing all over social media. Elon Musk is definitely not doing anything about the anti-Semitism. There are other social media platforms that allow the anti-Semitic stuff. And you, you have to ask, not just whether you allow it or don't allow it, why is there a rise of it? But that is where we are on this Thursday, October the 12th, 2023. We've got an hour. This was supposed to be relatively quick, but I wanted you to at least hear that. Uh, So when people say AOC is blaming Christians, you kind of know, I think she's referencing Christian nationalism. The, the article comes in and kind of puts it at, no, even those even those of you who are pro-Israel, well, according to some Jews, you're anti-Semitic. It doesn't say which Jews, how many Jews believe that. I don't know. Because I think most Christians who are very, very pro-Israel are very pro-Israel. So I, I, I don't know. But we will have to wait and see how this all plays out. Please look up Understanding the Times that podcast that we were reviewing at the beginning of this. Please listen to it. And um, I, I wish I had some profound words of wisdom here, but my feeling is the situation is going to get worse. It's going to get more deadly. It's going to get more destructive before it gets better. I see escalation in the immediate future. I don't know when the de-escalation begins, but I feel that that's what's going to occur. How we proceed is very difficult. How we proceed is very difficult, but I pray for everyone to do as, as you may have to keep up. Uh, you, you should keep up with what's going on, but try not to allow it to keep you from Scripture. And I will do my best to try to balance our coverage of the situation with our ongoing Bible study uh, exercise that we're doing on the tabernacle. We'll try to get back to a more very Bible-focused Bible pop quiz, maybe today, maybe we will, if not definitely tomorrow. And um, we'll do devotional messages, sermon reviews, and we'll, we'll continue to proceed with uh, all the other things to try to have a balanced approach here. All right. I wish I could say more, but I think we've said a lot. Hopefully something that has been said has been beneficial over the last hour. As always, thank you for listening. You can always contact us newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.